In this new segment of Advisor Revelations, the DPL team will discuss how to evaluate new solutions and address current challenges and the strategies that can help you grow your firm and AUM. Hello and welcome to the Advisor Revelations podcast. I'm Jonathan Barth, Regional Vice President at DPL Financial Partners. And joining us here today for our conversation is John Watson, consultant at DPL. Thanks for being here today, John. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, we're really excited about our conversation today. Before I get us opened up and, and talking about the 4% rule and retirement income, I want to encourage everybody to hop out to their podcast platform of choice. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast here and make sure to check out dplfp.com, which is our website. We'll likely reference some cool tools and calculators that are available to you. And the best way to access that is directly at our website. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Without any further ado, let's talk about the 4% rule. So John, do you want to share a little bit about what you do day in and day out here at DPL and and what your role is? Sure. So basically what I do at DPL, I help advisors try to determine the best course for clients based on need. Honestly, I've been doing this for almost 30 years at this point. And you you want to make sure, especially when you're using annuities, that it fits into an overall financial plan. Annuities already have a bad connotation with the public. The, of course, everybody likes to make jokes about them. But when it comes down to it, they can be very useful tools for really three basic things. The first thing, obviously, is you know avoiding taxes. You can defer some taxes with annuities. The second thing being income. Annuity companies, the first thing annuity companies really were, other than life insurance, set out to do with annuities is guarantee income for consumers' lives. Lastly, also, it really helps out with you know, risk mitigation and also some legacy purposes. So those are the big three. But if we're going to talk about the 4% rule, we really want to kind of focus on kind of that second point. We want to focus on what can annuities do to help out with the 4% rule and guarantee income for a lifetime. Exactly. And and that's exactly where I want our conversation to start. So as you're talking with advisors, day in and day out, and they're coming to you with clients and conversations about, you know, they've got baby boomers retiring, they maybe have clients who are already in retirement. How do you begin to frame that type of conversation with an advisor so that, you know, we can focus about it and think about it in a very mindful way of how to frame the income in 4% rule conversation? Sure. And, you know, most of my advisors are very astute when it comes to doing a comprehensive financial plan. So whether you use any financial software such as eMoney or Money Guide Pro, whatever it may be, you generally have a good idea as far as what the gap is going to be for the clients in retirement. So and what am I talking about? The gap, right? So, Jonathan, what would you say are the guaranteed sources of income clients can have today in today's market? It's not many, depending on who you ask. There are a few pensions, right? I'm lucky enough where both of my parents and grandparents all had pensions, so I never had to worry about them running out of money. Good. You have Social Security, Mm -hmm. right? That's out there. Is that it? Are there any others out there? Unless you win the lottery and you get a lifetime payment, that's about it. Yeah, which really is an annuity. (laughs) Think about it, yeah. Right, yeah. And then the annuities, which is what you and I talk about every day. Mm -hmm. So that's not a lot of options there. Yeah. You know, unless you're in public service or a state employee, which has its own, you know, challenges there. And, you know, most of those clients don't typically aren't who advisors are looking for, you know, in the RIA space, don't necessarily fall into the high net worth category. So if we eliminate the pensions or say very few of our clients have pensions, 
what do advisors really have to look at? There's a number of things that we can do. So first and foremost, with pensions, let me address that. Obviously, that's the, you know, the gorilla in the room. Pensions really started to go out of vogue over the last 20, 25 years. In fact, last year, probably the best private pension that was on the marketplace, which was IBM, was taken over by Prudential. So again, the insurance companies are the ones that know how to price the risk, handle the risk, hedge it, and make sure that they don't go out of business. So it was a big drag to IBM, especially in a low rate environment where they had to back all that money. And that's the reason they did it. So again, don't take my word for it. Google it, look it up online, and you can see. So with that said, today, as you mentioned, you were lucky to have family members with a pension. I was the same. Actually, my sister retired from a county in Ohio, and she has a pension as well. However, pensions right now, especially for the top 100, 500 companies, is well below 10%. And it keeps going down a little bit every single year. So for options, you know, we really do not try to pigeonhole clients into one product or another. It's really going to be a combination of everything. So what we have come up with and with Wade Fowl, we've come up with a RISA guideline. In other words, it's just a questionnaire you can send to your clients and get their preferences on how they want to receive their income in retirement. I mean, what better way to plan for that income gap in retirement than by asking the client, hey, how do you want to take it? Right. And some of that research that Wade Fowl and other academics have done tells us that clients want guaranteed income. They like the idea of guaranteed income. They like, I think, what you and I would call mailbox money, right? Enough to be able to cover the expenses month in and month out. But what we know a lot of advisors will lean towards, in addition to that, you know, some level of guaranteed income, but they'll look at the 4% withdrawal strategy. And, and that's you know, been very popular, right? For the last 30, 40 years, it's been kind of the go-to, the baseline of where you start for retirement income. But that has its own challenges, doesn't it? Yes, it does, especially right now. We just went through 10 plus years of almost 0% interest rates. So Mm -hmm. with that, you have a whole generation or decade of bonds that are well below the averages of the bonds that they took the place of that were maturing. So if you think about it, in the 80s and early 90s, or especially the early 80s, this is back, and I hate to admit it, when I was in high school, hyperinflation was really bad. That's when I remember my sister, she bought her first house in the early 80s, and she had a mid-teens interest rate at that time on her house. But at the same time, you could buy a 30-year bond, and it was paying, again, you know, 12 15%. So, right. you know, That's ideal. If we could buy those today, honestly, we probably wouldn't be in business. We wouldn't be talking right now, but (laughs) the days are gone. (laughs) So long story short, as we went through this past decade and we had so many black swan events all the way from Y2K, even up through COVID that Mm -hmm. drove down the rates because they had to keep the economy going. And honestly, the government did a pretty good job. We're not fighting over food and we're not burning our money. So we're doing pretty good. However, all those bonds from the early 80s and all the way in through through the 90s when they were good are starting to mature. Mm-hmm. And when they're replacing those with bonds, especially in pensions and total bond funds, things of that nature, you're noticing that the yields are much lower. Mm-hmm. And those yields, they've gone down to where they're getting below 4%. So again, it kind of contradicts the 4% rule on what you can do for safe withdrawal rates. 
Right. And the 4% rule obviously takes into account inflation as well, which is a hot button topic right now. So we have an interest rate environment that's been extremely difficult for the last decade. Rates are increasing right now a lot as we're recording this. Fed just raised rates yesterday. Again, there's probably going to be more rates that are going to be raised by the end of the year, probably one more time, if not twice, on top of inflation. And inflation is oftentimes forgotten, right? We didn't have to worry about it for a long time. So where does that come up for you in conversations with advisors? So what I'm asking is, you know, when advisors are bringing a client situation to you, how frequently were you talking about inflation over the last maybe 10 years? And how frequently are you talking about it over, say, the last six months? (laughs) Well, you know, if you think about it, you make a very good point. Over the last 10 years, up until about a year ago, Inflation was almost kind of a really maybe the number three or number four concern for people going into retirement. Other, you know, number one is always, do I have enough money? Right. Do I have enough money to live? The biggest conversation I have with advisors, you know, is around clients' assets. It's like, it's really around, is the money really for a rainy day? Is it for legacy or is that asset geared towards income? So what do we need to be looking at? And I think that is a really good conversation to have with clients. Your portfolio, Mr. or Mrs. Client, are you really concerned about leaving money to the kids or are you more concerned about funding your retirement? Is it the asset you're concerned with or the income the asset can produce? And as we're having that conversation, the conversation around inflation has come up. Things have gotten more expensive. Think about when you go out to eat, everything's going up. Chicken, beef, milk, eggs. I mean, eggs, my goodness. I was saying, don't forget eggs, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people were dying potatoes this past Easter instead of eggs. So long story short, you always need to plan for an increase over time. So how are we going to do that? Are we going to do that through something fixed that has something that will adjust for inflation? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to use a diversified portfolio, monitor it, invest it, and hope for the best? Right. And some advisors who abide by the 4% rule or some safe withdrawal rate and take a total return approach will oftentimes, you know, share with us, hey, we use fixed income to get some level of baseline of of income and withdrawals that we can take from the portfolio. Mm -hmm. But what we're really trying to do is free up the equity portion of the portfolio to keep up with inflation over the long run. And while that's fine, you and I both know that a sequence of returns can add in some difficulties there. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think as long as a client sticks with a portfolio, you might have a chance of having success with the 4% rule. However, do you want to take that chance as an advisor? Do you want to take that risk if they run out of money that you're going to be off the hook? Also keep in mind, when we do simulations through any software whatsoever, we are basically doing the perfect scenario for the client. There's no emergencies. The client's not going to dip in. They're not going to help out a kid. You know, They're not going to buy a second home. They're not going to buy that new car every three or four years. Those are the things that I know we can put those into the planning software tools. But for the most part, any plan also figures that the client's going to stay fully invested. So think about last year. So everyone listening to this right now, think about last year and all the conversations we had to talk people off the ledge to keep them invested because we knew they were doing the wrong thing. But again, the fear of loss is a much more powerful fear than the greed of gain. That's great. I'm sure that that comes up all the time in conversations with advisors. And then 
and with clients as well. One thing we haven't talked about that plays into the 4% withdrawal rule is clients' lifestyle and, and life expectancy, right? Yeah. I mean, you and I were talking about it before this, and there are actually two factors at play that are making retirement time periods even longer, right? When it begins and when it ends. You want to share with the listeners a little bit about what we were talking about? So the CDC will put out studies, and one of the CDC studies talks about when people are retiring and then how long they're living. So if you look as far back as 1990, in 1990, people basically were retiring on average at age 62, right? So that's the earliest you can get Social Security. It makes sense. And at that time, people were living to about to age 84. Now, I don't have the 2020 numbers, but I do have the 2010 numbers. And from 1990 to 2010, so over a decade, people started to retire at age 59 on average, and they increased their longevity by two years. So you're retiring three years earlier, you're living two years longer, that's an extra five years you need to put into your plan. And you know, if you're taking out 4% from your portfolio, you can kind of do the math backwards to figure out how much more money do I need to retire? Right. And on top of that, you know, there's a always a bunch of research and information that comes out, I think from the MIT Age Lab is where mm-hmm. this comes from. But if you take a 65-year-old couple, right, yeah. that's living at 65, there's a 50-50 shot. At least one of them is going to be alive at 95. That's 30 years, yep. right? Yep. You do a 4% withdrawal strategy, you're going to run out of money unless you get some really good gains. We know as we get later into the retirement, there's less that we can do to adjust, right? Exactly. Exactly. You necessarily lower spending or get better returns or your kind of ship's already sailed. Exactly. And the latest figures I have, and I'll break it down by male, female, and a couple. So let's start with men. So men typically, it's kind of funny, we have the worst mortality out of anything. You know, usually we have a little bit more problems with our hearts and prostrate, things of that nature. But a 65-year-old man will have a 50% chance to live to age 87. So when we're looking at the averages of 84, that's three years longer. So we already talked about from 1990 to 2010, we had to do an extra five years. Now, if you are half in the middle, if you're average, you're adding a few more years. So all of a sudden, there goes three more years you got to add. So now we've got to add eight years since 1992, what we're living. Also, keep this in mind. We're starting to see a lot of people in their 90s, even centurions, a 65-year-old male right now. And these are the 2016 numbers. So I don't have, again, 2020 numbers. And these are the mortality tables that we basically get from the insurance companies. The male lived age 93, uh, 25% of the time. So again, 65-year-old male, 50% chance to live to 87, 25% chance to live to age 93. It's one out of every four clients that we see. Yeah, exactly. And this is not going to shock you, but women have a little bit more longevity than men. Typically, women have their mortality challenges a little bit earlier than men. So a 65-year-old woman will have a 65% or a 50% chance to live to age 90. And then a 65-year-old woman will also have a 25% chance to live to age 96. So I think that's pretty shocking if you think about it. Now, yeah, the people that live the longest, now you might agree or disagree with this, are couples. So a couple age 65 will have a 50% chance to live to age 94. So again, that's four years more than a single woman. And yeah. think about that, seven years more than a single man. 
Mm-hmm. And we know why that happens because the women are feeding the men and taking care of us. So, I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then also a 65 year old couple, there's a chance that one of them are going to live to age 98, 25% chance that one of them lives in 98. Once again, that's one out of every four households that we're seeing right now. And those numbers that you're pulling from, I'm sure that's from a, a large population, right? A, a good large scale you know, well-diversified numbers that we're getting there. But what we know is that RIA firms typically work with clients who are wealthier and with wealthier clients who are typically healthier. So those percentages of reaching 95 or 98 or or even 100 are likely very logically higher than what they would be from the general population standpoint, right? Because Clients who are going to go out and reach out to a financial advisor and work with a financial advisor are going to have better access to healthcare and all those things, which only puts more strain on the portfolio to keep up with a 4% withdrawal strategy or a total return approach or a bucketing approach or whatever it might be. So we talked a lot about the background of this issue and some of the factors that come into play. People are retiring earlier living longer. They are looking at sequence of returns risk, interest rate environment, all of that, Mm -hmm. inflation. It's a lot of problems and a lot of hurdles that advisors will bring to us and and try to, you know, say, hey, how can we find some type of solution that can help? So now, John, I want you to share with the listeners in the audience, what do you do when an advisor brings that to you? How do you start? Where do you actually start to put pen to paper or get into the tools and calculators that are available to you? Sure. So I think the big thing is you want to try to simplify the conversation. Yeah. When it comes down to it, like I said earlier, but anytime any survey you see, the number one thing the clients are concerned about, do I have enough money? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it comes down to it, if you think about it, your parents, then when they had a pension, they knew they had enough money coming in to pay the bills. They had enough money to food on the table, a roof over their head and clothes on their back. So what we try to do is we try to look at what the totals add up all the guaranteed sources of income. So again, for most people, it's going to be social security. They might have pensions, whatever that may be. Then let's take a look at what the expenses are. And there's really two levels of expenses you want to look at. You have your total expenses. That's everything. So You know, if you have a country club membership and you have all these extra things you like to do, travel, whatever, that you've got to include that into your total income. Now, you also have the essentials. What do I absolutely need to live? What is that number? So if you look at what Wade Fowl has talked about over the years, and I had the pleasure of working with him with the firm prior to coming to DPL, he would always talk about covering the essential expenses, Mm -hmm. making sure that You have guaranteed sources of income that covers those expenses. So we want to look at the gap. Let's do the gap analysis. That's the easiest thing to do. Gap analysis will start off with taking our guaranteed sources of income, looking at the essential expenses, do a simple math calculation, and then you get the gap. And from there, you can kind of back into what you need to cover those guaranteed sources of income. And then obviously, we need to take inflation account because we need to make sure that that guaranteed source of income either increases or we can buy more in the future. Right. And so when we find that gap, right, let's say that's $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month, right? That all is theoretical then at that point, right? It's all just the idea, the concept, rubber meets the road. Where do we go to from there, right? And I know that DPL in particular has put a lot of resources into serving up 
different types of solutions that are really easy to be able to review and look at. You want to talk a little bit about how we go through that review process and, and the different options that can be served up? Sure. So first of all, I would always say that, you know, we probably want to use the RISA to find out clients' preferences, right? Are they okay with the total return approach or are they okay adding some guaranteed income into the mix? And typically when you're going to add guaranteed income, you're either going to do one of two things, right? You're going to buy bonds and live off the interest, but then you have reinvestment risk, things of that nature, or you're going to buy an annuity and we got to make sure they're okay with annuities and explain to them what they are. Next, what we we'll want to do is once we know that gap on DPL's website and everyone has access to this and even clients, you can go and you can explore guaranteed income sources. You can either solve for a dollar amount or you can solve for an income need based on the ages and actually even in the future for when the client wants to take the income. John, tell us a little bit about the guaranteed income analysis tool. Where does that start and how do you go through that process when you're, you're looking at the options available to serve up to an advisor? Sure. So what we want to do is once we, again, go back and figure out the gap from guaranteed sources of income to the at least the essentials. Now, some people might want right. to, Jonathan, I know you and I would probably want that uh, that uh, golf membership guaranteed. <laughs> but what we do is we go to on uh, dpl.com. Clients have this and so do advisors, and we can explore guaranteed income sources. We'll put in either what we want for an income, the dollar amount, or we put a dollar amount in and it tells us what income that will provide. And here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is is that we can either do the income based on taking it right now or into the future. Say I'm retiring in four or five years. I can go five years into the future to see what it's going to look like. And we can do some projections with Monte Carlo simulations on what it might look like, or we can even go back and put it into where it's what is guaranteed, just in case we think that the market is going to underperform. Right, exactly. And one thing that's great about that tool is I've had a lot of advisors say it's almost like going out and shopping for car insurance, right? You don't want to have to go to multiple carrier partners or multiple insurance companies and get a quote from each. And that's going to take up a lot of time, right? We're all right busy business people. We want to do it and get on to the next thing that's going to drive revenue for our business. Right. The tool within DPL allows you to toggle between different carriers. It looks across all 20 carriers that are on the platform, the 60 plus solutions that are available all within 20, 30 seconds. All of that gets served up. And then you can toggle between the inflation protected or the increasing income and the level of amount of income. And so when you're thinking about it from a large scale standpoint, all of us are looking for ways to scale and automate our lives, our business, the planning that we do. And this tool is a really easy way to scale and automate the decisioning aspect that we always talk about of landing on which annuity is going to be right for my client or which two or three doing to take a deeper look at. So John, when you run that tool, how many do you typically talk about with an advisor? Usually I'll give them the top two or three resources that we have. Now, mm-hmm. first of all, you want to get the preferences out of, you know, uh, of what we're looking for. So, you right. know, are we looking for something that's exposed to the market, something that's not exposed to the market? Do we want an inflation hedge or do we not want an inflation hedge? Yep. Right now, however, I mean, obviously my advisors depend on me to kind of guide them to the right spot. And I've been doing this, like I said, for almost 30 years. I have never seen income rates this good, at least until uh, since maybe the late 90s. And also, there's such a small gap between 
inflation protected and non-inflation protected, I think it's almost silly not to go with the inflation protected option at this point while we're in a really good rate environment. Agreed. And that's obviously one thing that always comes up is, you know, with the interest rate environment, how has that impacted the annuities? And you're saying that because the Fed has increased rates, because there's a more healthy and, and fruitful interest rate environment out there, we're kind of out of that decade of 0%. Mm-hmm. While it might have been nice to borrow money, it wasn't good for investing and it wasn't good for annuities and the benefits there. So what you're saying is that as interest rates have gone up, the annuities have gotten better, richer. Is that a fair statement to say? Exactly. So the insurance companies, they're not investing in you know low rate bonds at this point. And you know, the annuity companies basically are like pension companies, you know, 25, 30 years ago. They know how to invest. A lot of our advisors understand this, that the annuity companies typically are the best hedging companies in the country on how to hedge the risk and make sure that they can meet their obligations so they can pay out the income needed over the next 30, 40, 50 years. Right. So let's just use simple example here. Right. Yep. So let's take that 65 year old couple. Mm-hmm. Let's say they go into an advisor's office and, you know, they say, OK, we want to do the 4% withdrawal strategy. Right. We're, we're comfortable yep. with that. That 4% withdrawal strategy could last them 22, 25 years if we're doing kind of simple math there. Right. Kind of mm-hmm. keep up with me. What could they go in a 65 year old couple get in the annuity space? Is it more than 4%? Is it less? What's the magnitude of that difference in trade-off there if they wanted to take a portion of the portfolio? Okay, sure. So let's take a look at what we can get from income for a 65-year-old couple with annuities. I think first we should start out with the total return approach and a systematic withdrawal just to make sure we kind of level set what is expected and what we can expect out of the annuity. So first and foremost, there's some data that goes back um, from the early 70s. In fact, January 1972, that shows the withdrawal from a diversified portfolio, basically a 50-50 mix of um, stocks and bonds, 50% in the S&P 500, 40% in the intermediate government bond space, and then 10% in 30-day T-bills. So let's assume this 65-year-old couple starts with a 4% withdrawal rate adjusted for inflation over time. So back in that point in time, we also want to recall as well that where was the bond market at that time, as we've discussed? The bond market at that time, if you remember correctly, it was a little bit higher than what it is right now. Currently, we're around 4% on the 30-year treasury, where back in the late 70s into the early 80s, you had well above 6% until really Y2K where it actually peaked in the early 80s in 1981, the 30-year treasuries actually peaked in the 14% range, a little bit over 14%. So kind of keep that in mind as we talk about these numbers. So for a 65-year-old couple going forward, starting off with that 4% withdrawal rate from 1972, they had no problem. Actually, the money grew, the income grew, and they did not run out of money. So in this case, the 4% rule works, but would it work right now with lower bond yields And the fact that all these bonds have matured since, and right now, the average bond yield, most likely, and these accounts are a little bit lower. Next, let's take a look at if the couple needed just a little bit more income and they went to 5%. So even in the high interest rate environment, the couple taking 5% out of their account from a systematic withdrawal would have ran out of money in their late 80s. So we talked about longevity. 
obviously you've got a pretty good chance that somebody's going to live into their 90s. So, you know, that might or might not have worked. Now, also, let's go back and say they need a little bit more income than 5%. They start taking six. So all of a sudden, a 6% withdrawal rate, you spend your money down by the early 80s. If you go up one more percent, 5%, then you're looking at running out of money in the early 70s. So as you can see, income never goes out of style, but guarantees never go out of style as well. So, you know, with annuities, we can actually do both. We can get income and guarantees. However, let's take a look at what they can get through the insurance companies. So mm -hmm. again, the insurance companies and the company I'm going to quote you is an A-plus company. And this is a product agnostic company, but the both things I'm going to show you are rising income. Let's plan for the single male first and then, or the single person first, male or female. These are yeah. unisex. And then I'll do a joint couple. Okay. So for a single person, you can actually get starting at age 65 right away, a 6.8% cash flow rate starting guaranteed the rest of your life. And that will increase over time. So a 4% withdrawal rate that may last me or a 68 hundred dollars at $6,800 to start. Right. Compared to 4,000 per hundred thousand. That seems like a no brainer for, for a portion, right? When it comes to income, it's better, right? Right. And so, so what that does for the rest of the portfolio though, is taking a little bit of, out of, you know, whatever is your least favorite investment, right? Most advisors don't like bonds very much. They, they don't offer much yeah. upside, right? They have yeah. stability, but, but still. You don't have to be a bond letter. Exactly. And you don't have to pull from the rest of the portfolio to mm -hmm. make up the withdrawals. Right. You're getting more money out of the $100,000. Okay. So what about for a joint couple where we have a 50-50 shot, yeah. at least one of them's alive at 95? Sure. So for a joint couple, it's a little bit less, but I think it's not a big difference. Again, it's 6.46%. So per $100,000, that's $6,460 compared to, again, we're just going to use the level $4,000. Sure. And let's keep this in mind that at a 6% withdrawal rate, if we go back and look at our example in 1972, people ran out of money at usually in about age 82. And we're talking about a 50-50 shot that someone's going to live 18 years longer. You got it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a big difference. Right. That's a big difference that plays into the financial plan, into the portfolio. And so as we talk about this, when we take it from theory and putting it into practice, if we land on a product, we land on a solution after we have the, the theory and we talk about it, we actually talk about, okay, we're going to allocate this $100,000, $200,000 of a million dollar portfolio. We can take that and then put it into your financial planning software. Exactly. And then what happens there? Your Monte Carlo scores increase, your probability of success increases. And what we see is that all parts of the financial plan actually benefit from the annuity being allocated to. We see clients being able to pass on more to their beneficiaries. They can spend more in retirement. They have a higher funding rate. Whatever stats that you look at, there's a very high likelihood that an annuity can provide some real benefit to that just by leveling out the income and guaranteeing a portion of what the client's going to spend month in and month out, year in and year out in a retirement that could be 30, 40 years. Exactly. And I will point this out. This is something that, that we all see. So obviously the government has gone and they've delayed minimum distributions from retirement accounts. 
So, you know, let's think the government really, they don't do anything out of the bottom of their heart to help us out. But here's their concern. The government is concerned that if they force people to start taking money out of their retirement accounts too early, they're going to run out of money. The percentages went down too. So the old percentages, when you went to take your first minimum distribution at age 70, was right around 4%, about 3.91%. Now it's a little bit lower. It's, it's about 3.65%, I believe it's 73, 74. And again, it's going to ratchet up over time. However, we talked about living into your 90s. And you know the one thing I will point out is that if you feel that you're going to live into your 90s, and the government's going to force you to take out over 8% from your retirement accounts, and you can last the next 10 years to age 100, then, you know, I would just keep your money invested in an IRA. But the chances are, by the time you get to age 100, and the government's forcing you to take 15% of your account value out, you might run out of money. Right. Yep. And then you're left with no lifetime income if you live past that, right? Or as you said, run out of money, you've gone broke at that point. And I don't know about you, Jonathan, but the majority of the clients I see and I work with, the majority of their money is in retirement accounts. Mm-hmm. So unless they really loaded up heavily on Roths or did conversions into a Roth, they're going to be forced to take that money out. And if you live to 90 and you have longevity in your family and you're concerned about living to age 100, I mean, we're maybe one or two discoveries away from all of us having a lot longer lifespan. I'm sure this keeps the insurance companies up at night. <laughs> then those withdrawal rates are unsustainable as you get older, and we will run out of money if we don't plan for it correctly. Right. And all of that to say it's even more beneficial now than ever with a better interest rate environment, the creation of advisory commission free annuity solutions to check out how an annuity could benefit a financial plan. Well, John, we're up against time here. So any last thoughts that you might have as we close out our conversation about retirement income, the 4% withdrawal rule, hurdles that advisors and clients may face when taking income? Sure. I think when it comes down to it, it really comes down to client preference. Don't let your own feelings about annuities or other products that can guarantee income get in the way of taking care of your clients. Ask the client, get their preferences. This is why the risk is out there. It's third party. It's something that they can take and we can get their preferences to see what they like. But again, take the risk off of your table, put it back on the insurance company's table. It makes your life that much easier. The clients are happier. And I think overall, we'll have much more successful plans in the future. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, John, I really want to thank you for your time today, for sharing the insights that you have and have gathered from 30 plus years in the industry and working with, you know, probably thousands, if not, you know, tens of thousands of RIAs. And I also want to thank everybody for listening in today. We encourage you to once again, subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you might be listening to us right now. If you're interested in the RISA, the tools, the calculators, or just want to know more about advisory annuities, we encourage everybody to hop out to dplfp.com. That's the website uh, that we've referenced here a couple times. Tons of information out there that's on a carrier agnostic platform. You can see some of the things we've been talking about, play around with the tools. And then if you have any questions, there's a, a very easy connect with us or contact us there on that website. Hope everybody has a great day and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. 
To hear more advisor revelations, go to dplfp.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming app. Oh, 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 oh,